Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, hello, everyone. What a week. What a week. Okay, let me get into this here. First of all, I have a new Substack article up in the American Classroom, and I highly recommend heading on over there and checking that out. Uh, it's a pretty simple breakdown, I think, of the replacement migration that is taking place not just across our country, but how it's now made its way, of course, into American schools. And it's completely unsustainable to use a term from the left. There is absolutely no way that American K-12 schools can accommodate thousands and thousands or more of illegal aliens in schools all across the United States. And they're actively engaging in child trafficking. This has to be mentioned. This has to be brought up. They, of course, along with the media, are rationalizing it away and saying, well, it's Ron DeSantis's fault or it's Greg Abbott's fault. It's everybody's fault, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody is engaging in child trafficking here. And now, American K-12 schools are the sanctuaries for trafficked children. And again, that needs to be brought up. And it needed to be written about, and so I did. And so it is over there, and uh, again, the American Classroom Substack, I highly recommend checking it out. It is titled, Replacement Migration in American Schools, The Flood of Child-Trafficked Illegal Aliens into American K-12 Schools. This is just another variable that will lead to the complete collapse of American K-12 education. Yes, it will most likely start within many urban areas first, because this is where a lot of these individuals are being trafficked to, but this will occur across the United States, even in suburban areas, when all of a sudden you end up seeing potentially more Mexicans around than maybe you used to, certainly within the school environment, because again, this is one of the ways that not just child traffickers, but illegals in general sort of like to uh, hide among the masses and hide among the legal population is they immediately will drop their children off in a school for a variety of reasons. Number one, they hope that they'll start to learn English. Number two, they'll be fed. Number three, if they show up with tattered clothes, the school will replace those clothes. Um, that's typically what happens. And again, if Child Protective Services gets involved or a social worker gets involved and they find out that the individual is illegal, um, they'll, they'll usually work with them because, again, these are virtue-signaling leftists by and large. So, again, I mention it in the article, but keep it in mind that, is, that it is completely legal for American K-12 schools to take in illegals what is not legal, however, is taking in child-trafficked individuals who are also illegal. This is, again, it's another element that is not being considered among the mainstream media. Of course, they would never even mention it. And this is something that many individuals who are about to vote on school levies all across the United States are not considering. They don't understand that their own higher tax dollars, so to speak, that's being taxed on their properties are potentially going to go to accommodating illegal aliens within their own schools. 
This will happen. It has happened. It is happening, and it's it's not going to go away. So there you go. Head on over to the Substack, the American Classroom, if you're interested in checking out what I wrote about that. Okay, here's the next thing. I've been sitting on this for a while, and as you know, I haven't brought it up, but I'm going to bring it up now is the whole Alex Jones stuff and the Sandy Hoax trial and all of that. Sandy Hook, of course, didn't happen. That entire thing was fake. Um, those individuals are the worst liars that, that exist on the face of the planet. My whole point here is this. I think that there's something else going on within this entire trial, which I may have mentioned that in the past, but I think that there's something else going on in the trial that's, that's out of our sight. Um, I'm not quite sure how to break it down. I just, I, I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs. Again, it's beyond fake. I'm certain that to some extent this is probably being used to, again, scare people away from questioning these hoaxes and these false flags and, these, and pointing out who these liars are. Um, it's clearly an infringement on the First Amendment beyond any reasonable doubt whatsoever. Uh, what else? I just it it just baffles the mind that Alex Jones's lawyers wouldn't take the opportunity to submit evidence that proves that it's fake. And again, during the first trial, I think which was in Austin, Texas, some of that was was coming out in the actual courtroom. And to be honest, that shocked me to some extent because I thought to myself, I mean, their odd acting and hoaxy behavior is being played in a trial for everybody to see where endless eyes are on top of this. And then, of course, I thought to myself, well, that too is being, must be done on purpose to, again, wake people up to the fact that the whole thing was fake. I don't think there's any way that, of course, Alex Jones is going to pay any of this. I don't think he has to. I think all it would take, I believe, I'm not a lawyer, but I believe that an appeals judge could strike down the entire thing with a snap of their own fingers. It would just depend on who the judge is. Uh, I have no doubt that Alex Jones and maybe even these parents, if they've actually been paid a, a one red cent along the way here, are, are profiting from this to some extent. Um, you know, listening to Alex Jones is a difficult thing. You know, just the other day, for fun, I decided to turn him on, and I didn't last 10 seconds because he started ranting about how Ukraine is winning and Ukraine has all of this money from the United States and they're basically using the most advanced cyber weapons and drones and technology that they can use against Russia because Russia could easily be defeated because they have a 1980s or 1990s military. It makes no sense. That's, that's preposterous. Russia could wipe Ukraine off the face of the planet in the blink of an eye. And by the way, they're not there to do that. I mean, that's not what's happening. You already have at least four regions in Ukraine that have voted to side with Russia. So... Again, there's more to it than, than, of course, what the media is telling everybody. And same thing with Alex Jones. I mean, he's not even covering it accurately. So, I don't know. 
The whole thing is odd. Sandy Hook didn't happen. Those parents are grifters. Nicole Hockley is an abomination. Um, she, like I brought up a long time ago, Nicole Hockley, one of the fake moms, is one of the more vocal of the of the fake parents. Uh, she spoke at a at a local school. I'm just going to revisit this story very quickly, so bear with me. It's it's kind of interesting. She, she decided to visit or was invited by a local school district where I live, and uh, it made the newspapers and and was on social media and whatever. And she showed up and she spoke to, again, the, the administrators and the students about losing a child in a school shooting and, oh, the, the horror. Uh, without, of course, providing any evidence whatsoever, just listening to her story and then everybody just has to blindly believe it. You know, show me a picture of a dead kid. I mean, show me a picture of one drop of blood. You can't do it. They can't do it. Absolutely no evidence brought, of course, even in the Alex Jones trial. But after I found out that Nicole Hockley spoke at this school, I emailed every member of the school board in this district. I emailed the entire high school administration, and I emailed all of the history and science teachers, all of them. And I specifically chose the history and science teachers on purpose because these are the ones that propagandize the students more so than other people without, of course, knowing it. They don't know that what they're teaching is propaganda. They don't know that what they're teaching isn't real. So I emailed all of them. And we're talking, God, it was at least, I want to say like, oh, I don't know, almost 50 emails, but it was a giant group email. I mean, I, I put them all in the exact same email. And uh, I had a nice little explanation of Sandy Hook and who Nicole Hockley was, and I sort of pulled them into the email so that they would keep reading, assuming that it didn't immediately go to their spam folder and they just deleted it. But somebody had to have read it. And, uh, and then I started sending them YouTube links of videos regarding the Sandy Hoax. And then before you know it, I didn't receive a single email back, not one. Not one single administrator, board member, or school teacher emailed me back. Not one. Rather telling, I think. Again, it could have the email could have been sent to their spam folders and they just blindly deleted it. Who cares? But somebody had to have read it. And then of course to not reply with even a single question. That's uh that's pretty indicative of the entire business as far as I'm concerned, because that's what the business is. They, they are not curious people. They do not ask questions. They are fearful. They're cowards. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bunch of things. But as you've heard me brought, uh, bring up here, along with countless others, I'm sure, like Dr. Mark McDonald, when you cease being curious about anything, it's game over. Then you'll just blindly believe anything. So. I don't know. But Sandy Hook didn't happen. Uh, yeah. I know a little bit about defamation suits, just a little bit. You can't sue someone if they don't have that kind of money. I mean, a prosecutor wouldn't take it up. They'd say, so what are you going to sue for? Or let's put this to a trial or you know, a, an actual jury to make the decision. You can't sue someone for money they don't have and can, and can never produce. So, yeah, I mean, even Alex Jones was laughing about it and saying that, you know, they're not going to get a single dime. 
It's possible. But the whole thing could be fake, for all I know. So, I don't know. It's weird. I know it's a stupid analysis of the whole thing, but I just think the whole thing is weird. It, it, none of it makes any sense. I feel like everybody's acting at some point, including Alex Jones. It's hard to know. But uh, I just don't know how any logical lawyer would allow for no evidence to be presented in court that proves that it's fake. So, yeah. Again, if, they, if this whole thing wakes people up and they start to look at this and they actually say to themselves, wow, that seems really unfair. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if it's real. If it's real and it sticks, it's unfair uh, and it's unconstitutional, which again means why on earth wouldn't any appeals judge just immediately strike this down? So there you go. That's my take. Okay, here's the next thing. I've brought this up numerous times, and I'm going to bring it up now because, ironically enough, I just got these two emails just the other day, uh, right after my last episode, actually. Sage Open, S-A-G-E, Open, O-P-E-N, is an online academic journal. Uh, Sage Publications is a major academic publisher of both books and, of course, they have numerous academic journals as well. Out of nowhere, I received two emails from Sage Publication or Sage Open, associated, of course, with Sage Publication, uh, asking me to review a couple of their academic articles. I politely declined, and uh, I'm going to tell you why, because this is hilarious. This right here, again, in my opinion, is more proof that the entire apparatus is crumbling to the ground. Now you might ask, how is it that they received my information? It's possible that at some point, many years ago, I attempted to publish in Sage Open. And I do know that their publication apparatus, so to speak, probably has my information. They, of course, have my email, which means they probably have other things too. Um, I just don't know why they would reach out to me regarding these two particular articles, of which I'm going to read the titles, and they are hilarious. Because there's nothing about either one of these articles that has anything to do with my credentials. Which again means they're having a very difficult time even finding reviewers for these horrible, horrible articles. So here's the first one. This is the first title. Um, they, of course, give you access to the paper to read. I suppose I could spend the entire episode uh, reading reading these articles. Uh, it's ridiculous, but yeah. I mean, the abstract is included. I could read that. But it just has nothing to do with anything that I bring up ever. It has nothing to do with anything that I've ever written about, spoken about, anything. But they're like, hey, you know, based on your credentials... And your expertise in the area, we would like to invite you to review this manuscript. No thanks. So here's the first title they sent me, which of course I politely declined. It's titled, quote, The Occupational Neck Pain Prevention Behaviors Assessment Questionnaire, Development and Psychometric Evaluation. That's the first title. Again, what does that have anything to do with me? 
other than the fact that apparently this has to do with school teachers. So saith the abstract. It says that this questionnaire was distributed among sample a sample of teachers. Okay. About neck pain. For the love of God. Uh, you know, and then what they do is, is they give you in the email um, a series of options for you to click on where you basically make the decision as to whether or not you want to, uh, you know, review their manuscript. So their options are the abstract indicates poor study quality is the first one. There's basically four options to decline and then one where you agree to uh, review the manuscript. Where then, of course, you can download the entire thing and read the entire paper. Okay, here's the next one, though. Uh, and uh, by the way, I, like I said, I did decline, and I said uh, decline not in my field. So there you go. The next one is titled this, quote, The Impact of Am Ambulatory Care Accreditation in Promoting Foreign Patients. Medical Displacement to Latin America, a quasi-experimental approach. I almost want to read this abstract. Let's see. I will. Okay, I'm going to read this one. <laughs> and then you have to determine whether or not this actually has anything to do with me. Because when I think of me, I think of Latin America, don't you? Uh, okay, it says the following abstract. This study analyzes whether clinics accredited by the Joint Commission International Hospital Program in Ambulatory Medical Care Protocols located in Latin America achieve a higher quality perception from foreign patients compared to others treated in non-accredited ones. The following quality perception variables under study are essential to achieve such accreditation. The length of an outpatient visit follow-up attention, and a clear explanation of the medical condition identified by doctors to patients. In 236 patients, a T-test with Welch connection, Chi-square test, Tau-Kendall correlation coefficient, pre-test, post-test, supplemental questionnaire, and two focus groups was applied. Patients treated in accredited clinics had a greater perception of quality than those treated in non-accredited clinics. An unbiased application of the three variables was discovered to have a determinal, or sorry, detrimental, I can read, impact on quality perception. The findings contribute to analyzing international health accreditations on Latin American outpatient medical offer. Again, I have no idea how Mexican, Ecuadorian, and Colombian hospitals have anything to do with me. It, it blows me away. Um, I have no idea. So I guess my point is, is that they're desperate. They must be desperate to just have people, please, you know, please look at our articles. Please look at these articles and, and let's pick from this existing list that we still have. And, and perhaps someone will just say yes. It's uh, it's outrageous. Like I said, it just shows their desperation because they have no one to review these articles. So there you go. Okay, moving on. This specifically links to the 
Substack article that I wrote, but I just briefly want to mention this, and then I'll encourage again people to head on over and and uh, check out that Substack on the American Classroom. This came from the New York Post just the other day, and it's titled "New York City Schools Struggle to Cope with Influx of 5,500 Migrant Kids." You pretty much know how this is going to go, and as I say in the Substack article, these individuals cannot afford this. It's going to squeeze endless school teachers out of the business because they did not sign up in America to teach Mexicans. That's not, um, that's not racist. That's not bigoted. That's a fact. And they, again, as you've heard me say, numerous school teachers complain about class sizes and schools being flooded with endless people in particular, I might add. Um, people who can't speak English. There are not enough bilingual school teachers that exist in the United States of America to handle this flooding of child-trafficked illegal aliens. There just aren't. So this is going to cause people to leave the business also. And this right here again, I mean, you talk about biblical. This is it. We're being shown how stupid people's decisions are backfiring in their face all of the time. Again, it's, it's Wiley E. Coyote, super genius, chasing the roadrunner on a constant basis. And one of my favorite ones, of course, is the giant fly swatter. And it's been used, of course, in Tom and Jerry cartoons and probably every cartoon from here to Timbuktu. But the, the giant fly swatter or the giant catapult you know, where they reach it back and then it ends up just bashing them right in the face. That's exactly what this is. This is exactly what this is. But you also have to keep in mind that they aren't free from the virtue signaling because that's happening too. I mean, they've got a picture of a school teacher again who's got her arms crossed and she's going, I helped them get new clothes. I mean, I went to the Goodwill and, and we got them clean clothes and we did a good thing. And they pat themselves on the back and, and whatever else. These schools are openly engaging in the trafficking of children who are illegals. It, it, that's it. That's it. I guarantee that these school teachers didn't, didn't plan for that. They certainly weren't taught it within their teacher education programs at the university level. I mean, they might have had a passing social work class that they had to take or that was mandatory to basically remind them that, uh, you know, lots of students are, are homeless and disenfranchised, so to speak, and, and don't have money and whatever else. And that's a very real thing. However, what about teaching illegal aliens who can't speak a lick of English and then filling your class with those students? And then, as they even say in the article, which I reference in the Substack article, dumbing down the curriculum on purpose to accommodate for illegal aliens who are being child trafficked because they can't speak English. So you're not going to give out 20 to 50 different assignments to each individual student. So you're basically doing what then? You're giving the entire room an assignment that's super easy for the Mexican student, so to speak, but even easier for the American student. It's embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. 
And as I also say, of course, in the Substack article, and then I'm going to move on here, is that the virtue signaling is not only you know just absolutely embarrassing, but as we saw with the whole Martha's Vineyard thing, when you have illegals show up, nobody screams bloody murder quite like a leftist because you know they don't want illegals around roughing the place up. They claim that they love illegals and oh, we need to be compassionate and you know our doors are open and you're welcome. Oh my God, here they are, and then they just panic and and lose their shit and then it's game over. So the hypocrisy just continues is the whole point. It just continues. Um, here's something else too, kind of in the same vein, but on the other side of the so-called political coin, I guess. You know, there are still endless individuals who are showing up to school board meetings yelling at the top of their lungs about the perverse books and the drag queen shows that are taking place on, on school campuses and whatever else. I can't, I can't say this enough. I, I am shocked that this is still happening, that these, that these parents are still relying on government to change their ways so that they can continue to send their children to these environments. On Gab, I put out a video that I found uh, on Telegram, and it was of a woman, I believe in California, speaking in front of, of course, a packed room of of mothers primarily, it looked like, and there were some men in the audience as well, but she was speaking at a board meeting and, and yelling at the board members about, again, these drag queens and the strip shows that are taking place within these schools. It wasn't Kimberly Rikes, it was someone else, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's basically the same thing. Uh, screaming at the top of their lungs. And then, of course, as I said on Gab, what people fail to understand is, is that even after all of that, all that yelling and screaming and, you know, I've got a binder and I'm reading from this and look what I can do and standing on my soapbox and doing whatever, they continue to send their children to these same environments. The easiest way to destroy an American K-12 school district is to stop sending your children. That's it. That's the only way that they crumble. And these parents that refuse to assist in the learning, and I'm going to use that word purposefully, assist in the learning of their own children, is going to continue to be the problem here. If your child can read and write, they can teach themselves. And I've said this before, it bears repeating. Do you think for one hot minute, that our ancestors give a red damn about children, your children, staying at home and teaching themselves at home with the doors locked and they have access to a cell phone to call a parent who's working if they have to and whatever else. Do you think your ancestors gave a damn about that generations ago? No, they didn't. Because that's what happened. Say, for example, again, it was a single home. Say, for example, the mom or the dad passed away and the other parent worked. How did those children learn? They learned at home by themselves. They probably started to read books. They started to write letters. They started to do a lot of different things on their own. And then maybe even, maybe, 
we know that this happened too, actually, that siblings would teach one another and help one another out if they had a question about something. But now today, with the way that technology is, it's impossible to not get your questions answered. You can use any computer you want, even a cell phone, to have questions answered and to help teach yourself. That, of course, requires understanding something about censorship and social media and search engines and knowing that Google is not the place to go for your answers. But people are not thinking about their, gener- their, their previous, uh, you know, their ancestors and the previous generations of their own family and how they learned and how they were taught. They're just assuming that they have to permanently be glued to the American K-12 school system or even the university apparatus, and that's not true. It's not true. You've heard me say it a million times on this show. So, you know, congratulations for that mother speaking in California about the, you know, the trannies. Good for her. She got her five minutes. But, you know, stop sending them. It's really that simple. They've abused you hardcore over the last two years openly in front of everybody. So stop sending them. They'll stop getting money. They'll financially be put in a position which many school districts are in now, which is where, of course, they have to have levies to make up for the fact that they've been abusing children and been fiscally irresponsible and spending through the roof and buying new windows for their buildings and HVAC units and whatever else. I mean, you know, all of that is, again, in plain sight. And now they're coming back to you with the threat of, of, of taxing your own property. And that the higher the value of your property, the more you're going to get taxed to continue to fund their illegal shit show. It blows me away. Stop sending them. Because if they cease to exist, ladies and gentlemen, they can't tax you anymore. There will be no levies anymore. If you keep voting no on levies and they keep running out of money, they will cease to exist. This has to happen. It's the only way forward. Yes, people are going to lose their jobs. Don't care. I don't care. Do they deserve to keep their jobs? Not necessarily. They've played along with the system this entire time. They've supported it with their participation. Could they find new jobs? Sure they could. Sure. Find another job. Go do something else. Move around. School teachers in particular, be nomadic. Be a gypsy. Move around with your cart, with all your school supplies in it, pick up and leave, and find another building that supports your nonsense. They still exist for the meantime, but they won't in the future. As long as people continue to vote no on all levies and let the entire school systems where they live burn to the ground. That has to happen. It's like when people go to the police asking for help after the police have a reputation of not helping. Why are you still going to the police for help? Solve problems on your own. Put up some security cameras. Buy a gun. Protect your property. Do a bunch of different things. There are other options is the point. There's always other options. But again, in this video of this woman speaking at the microphone and yelling about whether, you know, how it's inappropriate and how dare you, you should apologize to us. They're never going to apologize. 
they flat out openly recommended that children and their entire employee system and all the employees within their buildings take a biological weapon that is going to kill them. So what next? You're going to ask these people to apologize? These people will never apologize. They're not well in the head. And why would you want to send your children to a place filled with people who aren't well in the head? Which, by the way, kind of leads me to this. I've been reading more posts online of people talking about people that they know who are jabbed and are talking constantly and not making any sense. They're having conversations with them or attempting to, and they can't even get a word in edgewise because they're not listening, they're interrupting. It's a thousand different things. It's as if their mind is working not in slow motion, but quite the opposite, in overdrive. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that or not. Um, Wouldn't shock me, but there you go. We know that Cognition and cognitive problems are major intentionals when it comes to the jabs, but uh, schools are filled with this. We cannot assume that these people, again, are going to be making sense in the future, let alone right now. They're not. They just aren't. Okay. Which, by the way, fun little fact, I didn't mention this, uh, I purchased a banner, a rather large one, that's going to go at least like two doors down from where the district office is on a major road in the town where I live. And uh, it basically just says vote no, that taxes won't fix the school district vote no. So that'll be fun. We'll see uh, whether or not it gets vandalized or not. But hey, good times anyway. Good times had by all. Okay, here's the next one. Again, more ridiculous behavior. Par for the course for American K-12 schools. This comes from the Daily Mail, and it is titled, Schools Branded Racist for Trying to Improve Pupils' Vocabulary Because Tackling the Word Gap, quote-unquote, Between Middle and Working Class Children Has Colonial Roots. Gesundheit. It says the following. Here are the bullet points. Lecturer. At Edge Hill, Ian Crushing believes the... Well, that's quite a name for a school there. Uh, Let's see. It says, believes the word gap has colonial roots. He argued that helping children learn English sustains racist and class hierarchies. About one in ten youngsters need speech and language support data shows. Okay. This also leads to something else, however which isn't new and neither is that story necessarily, but this is something that's happening in the state of Ohio where they are removing their regulations or previous benchmarks, I should say, or qualifications to graduate from the third grade to the fourth grade when it comes to a reading exam. That now they don't seem to care that a third grader can't read that they're just going to shove them into the fourth grade whether they pass this particular test or not. This, too, is more evidence, that's putting it mildly, but it's more evidence 
that the American K-12 school system is not only collapsing, but their way of alleviating the collapse is to, of course, remove requirements that were once in place that attempted to bring about a high standard of learning or knowledge, we'll say. So they have to remove them. They're not, of course, just removing them with students, as we know, and as you've heard on this show, they're removing them among teachers themselves. They're dumbing down even further the teacher entrance exams or certification exams, so to speak, because countless people aren't passing them because teacher education programs are producing dummies. The evidence is everywhere that this entire thing is collapsing, and it is, again, is purposely being dumbed down among everyone involved, which again means what are they going to be producing if these individuals graduate from middle schools and high schools, in particular high schools? Well, we already know. And as even Dr. Robin McCutcheon has brought, brought up before, even on the Dangerous Info podcast with Jesse James, it's producing high school graduates who then become juniors and seniors in college, and they cannot read. They cannot read out loud. They don't read well. And if you hand them a thick book, they shit their pants. This is a problem. I mean, that's a separate problem of incontinence and thousand, you know, a thousand other problems, but you get my point. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a huge issue. They're not reading. They're reading Twitter, maybe, in their head, but again, are they reading thick books about real history and then comprehending what it is that they're reading and then comparing it even to the current state of affairs that we are experiencing now as a country? Plenty of evidence proves that that's not happening. So there's that. Here's another example. <laughs> they just keep coming. They're not going away. This comes from The Federalist, and Jesse James himself tossed this my way. It is titled, Michigan is Hiding a Child's Constitutional Right to Genital Mutilation. Sorry, well, it is mutilation, but it says amputation in its abortion amendment. Good Lord. It says the following. In less than one month, if Proposal 3 passes, Children will have a right under the Michigan Constitution to walk into one of Planned Parenthood's 12 so-called gender-affirming quote-unquote facilities in the state and without parental knowledge or consent obtain puberty blockers and with parent, uh, Planned Parenthood rather of Michigan promising gender-affirming care via telehealth in the coming months, Michigander's kids won't even need to leave their house to obtain these sterilizing drugs. It then says the passage of Prop 3 will also give boys a constitutional right to be castrated and girls the right under Michigan's constitution to be sterilized by way of a hysterectomy or the removal of their ovaries, all without their parents' consent. Do you think this is for the well-being of anyone? Honest to God. Uh, it continues, it says, Deceptive marketing by Planned Parenthood and far-left politicians, such as Governor Gretchen Whitmer, 
hides this reality from Michigan voters, leading Prop 3 to be uniformly referred to as the abortion amendment, quote-unquote, even though the expansive language of the proposed constitutional amendment reaches far beyond abortion. And on abortion alone, notwithstanding proponents' claims, that, quote, passing this amendment simply restores the same protections that Michiganders have for five decades, have had for five decades under Roe v. Wade, unquote. And then it says Prop 3 goes far beyond the controlling Roe Casey precedent. If passed, the constitutional amendment would create an extreme regime in Michigan of abortion on demand at any time for any reason without informed or parental consent and paid for by taxpayers. The nightmare continues, and it says the expansive and legalistically worded language of Prop 3, crafted by Planned Parenthood and left-wing backers, however, extends beyond abortion to create a constitutional right to, uh, to several aspects of what transgender activists call gender-affirming care, despite it being neither affirming nor caring. And Prop 3 extends that right to all individuals, including children. This is not merely a political point. It is not a worst-case scenario argument based on how some liberal activist judge or justice might interpret Prop 3. This reality flows from the plain language of Prop 3 and rests on general legal principles of constitutional construction. I'm going to add something to this. This will be taught within American K-12 schools, certainly in Michigan. They will be taught in their health classes or science classes or any class for that matter that this is a thing if this goes through. That's it. This will be taught to them. They will learn about this with or without their parents' consent. And then, of course, the teachers will be allowed to teach these children about this because they will say and use it as an excuse that it is the law. And well, we're just teaching them about their health rights and they're just allowed to learn about this because that's the way that it is. That's it. This is how these radical ideologies become law and then it gives teachers and administrators carte blanche to just teach it whether the parents want to or not. Again, it's another reason to pull your children out of these environments because it's going to be reinforced within these very environments. It continues, it says, quote, it's right in the text. Here is the pertinent language that Prop 3 would etch into the Michigan Constitution as Article 1, Section 28, with the key language underscored. It says the following. There are five, five bullet points here, I guess. It says, one, every individual has a fundamental right to reproductive freedom, which entails the right to make, make and effectuate decisions about all matters relating to pregnancy, including but not limited to prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, underlined, abortion care, miscarriage management, and infertility care, 
An individual's right to reproductive freedom shall not, shall not be denied, burdened, nor infringed upon unless justified by a compelling state interest achieved by the least restrictive means. Dot, dot, dot. It says, number two, the state shall not discriminate in the protection or enforcement of this fundamental right. Number four, skips three apparently. Uh, number four, it says the purpose of this section is the state's interest is compelling only if it is for the limited purposes of protecting the health of an individual seeking care consistent with accepted clinical standards of practice and evidence-based medicine and does not infringe on the individual's autonomous decision-making. They're not forcing it, clearly, because they can't. They're just making this abomination available. And it says, point five, this section shall be self-executing. It then says, prop three applies to men and women and boys and girls. By its expressed terms, Prop 3 applies to every individual and guarantees an individual's rights, quote-unquote. The, uh, the proposed constitutional amendment further provides that the state shall not discriminate in the protection or enforcement of this fundamental right. As a matter of constitutional interpretation, then, the rights guaranteed by Prop 3 would be rights that both adults and children possess as individuals. And the rights apply equally to males and females. And then it goes on and on and on. Talks about puberty blockers. Uh, continues to talk about Planned Parenthood targeting kids one way or another. Yes. And the thing to keep in mind, and I'm just going to end it here. The thing to keep in mind is that Health departments, in particular the, the health departments that are directly associated with American K-12 schools, work hand-in-hand hand with Planned Parenthood. They always have. They will continue to do so. This is, this is what happens. If a Planned Parenthood building gets shut down, many of their employees will attempt to work within health departments that are associated with county or district-level health departments because that's what they know. That's what they know. That's where they go. Children are their targeted audience, uh, and this proposition is an abomination. I wanted to mention this too, again, sort of in the same vein, and I brought this up previously, but this kind of happened, which again was neat and yet a little ridiculous, uh, because again, you know, homeschool. Pull your children out. I don't understand what the problem is. Uh, this was from the Daily Wire of all places, not a fan of theirs, but the story is solid. Christians and Muslims unite in Michigan to fight sexually explicit material in school libraries. Again, it's low-hanging fruit, but apparently the Dearborn, Michigan school board adjourned themselves when uh, the place filled with Local Muslims, all carrying signs and screaming at the top of their lungs that the books and sexually explicit materials should be removed from their schools and their school libraries. I mean, they're a little late to the party. You know, good for them. They feel like they're doing something. But if you really want to do something, how about you work to make the school districts cease to exist by pulling them out of school? That's all. Pull them out permanently. If your child can read, and if your child can write, they can teach themselves. 
I've said it before. I just said it again. I'll keep saying it. It is, it is the way forward. It is the answer. It is the only way forward, and it is the only answer. I wanted to mention this too, again, because there's a lot of local things happening in the county where I live regarding school boards and school districts, which again is is good. I mean, this, uh, these people are being exposed for the losers they are. And uh, it's I understand fully that it's waking up the dead asleep. I mean, the absolute dead asleep. But their continued participation in, in school board meetings and in the school systems as a whole is really the problem. So there's a local school district by the name of Lakota City Schools, and it's a big district. In fact, it's one of the larger ones uh, in the state of Ohio, and I believe the largest, certainly, in the county where I live. Uh, Their superintendent is an abomination, always has been. In fact, quick story, I think I mentioned this maybe a year or so ago, a couple years ago, could have been at the very beginning of the podcast, but if you recall the Jerry Seinfeld show, uh, Comedians in Cars Having Coffee or something along those lines, this idiot decided to do something similar called Superintendents in Sedans. I know. I know. Uh, I, I got a nosebleed too when I first heard that. But he decided to do that, and then the backlash ensued, where endless people were saying, why are you wasting taxpayer dollars on you driving around in a sedan with other local superintendents talking about the good things that are going on in your buildings and patting yourselves on the back? It's beyond pathetic, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, these people are some of the dumbest humans on the face of the planet, without a doubt. This particular superintendent, who goes by the name Matt Miller, if that can be believed, <laughs> not that there's anything suspicious about it, I'm just messing with a guy because he's an idiot, uh, he gave a TED Talk a long time ago. And I'm telling you, if you give a TED Talk, uh, there's something wrong with you. Somebody's got their hooks in you because you don't make your way onto the stage of a TED Talk without without being owned to some extent or receiving some kickbacks in some way. During his speech, of course, he had a stack of textbooks up on the up on the stool and he knocked them all over in this dramatic hand sweeping motion and, and knocking all these textbooks to the ground, and look, he's a leader and he hates textbooks because he wants to learn online and that's the way to do things. Okay. That, of course, didn't usher in what you would think would show up, which would hope or would hope to show up, actually, which would be the truth, and that someone would actually be teaching the truth without the constriction of a propagandized textbook. No, no, no. That wasn't the purpose of his TED Talk. The purpose of his TED Talk was, textbooks are now online, so that's what we should be using. It's two heads of the same snake. That's all. We shouldn't be messing around with textbooks. We should be giving students computers with uh, restrictions on those computers, of course, as to what they can learn and where they can go to search for answers. But uh, we don't need to be using textbooks. We need to be using the online curriculum by giving, again, every kid their own, whatever the hell they call them, Chromebooks or whatever else. That was basically what he was ushering in 
That's why he was invited to, to a TED Talk, because he was pushing that digitalized propaganda. Of course, if you get on BitChute on one of those Chromebooks, you won't be allowed because, you know, they tell the, the truth on BitChute, and that's where the truth tends to live, and certainly critical thought among thousand, a thousand other things. So in this local school district, apparently, in their last board meeting, which made the paper, which was funny, because the front page of the local section had not, it was, I mean, none of it was good. All of it was just bad education news all over it, and it was fantastic. Um, apparently, the superintendent's under investigation by a self-employed group that has apparently been hired by the district themselves to investigate something. What's interesting is is that the school or the school themselves, of course and the newspaper, made no mention of why the superintendent is being investigated and what for. So I don't, I don't have the answer to that. I do know if you're being investigated for something, it's typically not good. You've done something you shouldn't have done. It's, of course, corrupt because the school district itself is, uh, you know, has hired its own outside firm, so to speak, to do the investigating, of which, of course, they're probably going to produce nothing and the guy will keep his job. Um, the school board, of course, supports him 100%, and that's all that has to happen. In order for a superintendent to remain, is the school, the school board members themselves have to like the person, and they apparently like this person. What did happen, however, during this board meeting is that the individual who runs the board, uh, the president of the school board, decided to shut down the meeting and adjourn quickly because one of the outspoken board members, who is a patriot of sorts, didn't like the fact that the school board voted to eliminate the public comments section. And apparently a lawyer showed up who was supporting the investigation, I guess, or participating in the investigation, rather, of this superintendent and encourage the board to continue to limit and eliminate the public comments section because it could be problematic to the ongoing investigation. Enter the outrage. Enter the public outrage then. Now you've got parents showing up, screaming at the top of their lungs with signs, calling the school district communists. This is a big deal. When you start calling school districts communists, or even take it a step further and call them Bolsheviks, that's a big deal. You've awakened a sleeping giant then, and that's a good thing, because there's actually a board member, again, who sits on the board, who screams or yells, I guess, so the paper says, at the school board, at the other school board members, and says what they're doing is an abomination and will directly address the president of the school board and give them hell. I like it. You see, you talk about a civil war. That's where the civil war is occurring. As you've heard me bring up before, the civil war that's going on in America is occurring within and between law enforcement within and between military members, and now it's starting to happen within and between school board members. 
I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting fight. I think that's an interesting thing that's taking place because, again, when that particular level of disagreement starts to occur, that's when you really start to get the attention of the asleep public. Now, they should be homeschooling anyway, and they shouldn't be attending these god awful school districts anyway. But with that part aside, just for a moment, when you have members of the school board themselves, yelling at other members of the same board about limiting the free speech of the citizens in the area and telling them this is going to backfire on you, you have no idea, etc., etc., that's a good thing. It really is. Again, could it lead to board members being removed in the next election? Possibly. Could that then, of course, lead to superintendents being fired because the majority of the school board members don't want the superintendent around anymore? Yes, that will happen also. So this is a good thing. This kind of infighting is exactly what should happen because it puts the left on their heels. And as we know, the left does not operate well on their heels. They just don't. They will always walk away from a fight because they're cowards. Just like Katie Hobbs in Arizona, running away from Project Veritas and, uh, and proving, of course, that she's a coward. That shouldn't surprise anybody. It's not breaking news for Project Veritas. Project Veritas is just highlighting typical behavior from the left. But that right there shows people, and I think in a rather good way, that this is exactly what the left does. They will run away, they will not want to talk to you, they will lock themselves in a bathroom, call for help, and then run to a car and drive away. School board members are no different. When you confront them with their illegality and their unethical behavior, they will simply say, meeting adjourned, and then they'll just end the meeting and close the doors, and that's it. That never works out for them, not in the short term or the long term. But if you really don't want things to work out for them, you know what the only answer is. I've brought it up a million times. You know what the only answer is. So with that said, here's the final thing I'll mention, which again, bit of a nightmare, as you know. The FDA, ladies and gentlemen, they have approved the coronavirus COVID-19 vaccine along with Moderna for age groups five years old and over. And make no mistake, as we know, it will only be a matter of time before this is given to infants and newborns. This will, this will be a thing. That is, of course, if the rope doesn't come out and the gallows aren't, uh, aren't greased up in due time. But this is what's happening. So it is titled again directly from the Food and Drug Administration, Coronavirus COVID-19 Update, FDA authorizes Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech bivalent COVID-19 vaccines for use as a booster dose in younger age groups. Ah, what a nightmare. There's a quote here in bold print, I might add, that I'm going to read. It says, quote, this is directly from this criminal organization. It says, since children have gone back to school in person and people are resuming pre-pandemic behaviors and activities, there is the potential 
for increased risk of exposure to the virus that causes COVID-19. Vaccination remains the most effective measure to prevent the severe consequences of COVID-19, including hospitalization and death, says Peter Marks, MD, PhD. Quote, While it has largely been the cause that COVID-19 tends to be less severe in children than adults as the various waves of COVID-19 have occurred, more children have gotten sick with the disease and have been hospitalized. Children may also experience long-term effects even following initial mild disease. We encourage parents to consider primary vaccination for children and follow up with an updated booster dose when eligible. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to wipe out anybody who takes it. Children are going to fall flat on their faces dead within American K-12 schools and now most certainly within elementary schools because there will be dummy parents who jab their children with this bioweapon again and again and again. Fortunately, again, less people are doing it, which is great, but that doesn't mean that the enemy is going to stop. As George Orwell said, of course, the war is not meant to be won, it is meant to be continuous. And it certainly continues, does it not? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. A lot of intense information, I know, but that's what's happening on the current battlefield that is medicine and American K-12 education. Have a great weekend. Catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.